Welcome to TC Daily, the technology show brought to you by Tech Central. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so at youtube.com slash techcentral or subscribe to Tech Central's daily newsletter at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter. Now, we've got a fascinating conversation coming up next. That's with Rob Walker. Now, he's the owner and director of the Sassel Solar Challenge. If you haven't heard of the Sassel Solar Challenge, it's an event that takes place every second year and that, and I'll quote here, strives to be the ultimate test of technology and innovation. Local and international teams conceptualize, design, and build solar-powered vehicles to drive across South Africa in an eight-day event while competing against each other, showing off their design, manufacturing, and strategy skills. The ultimate winner is the team that manages to clock the most kilometers traveled in their solar car. Now, we're going to show some footage uh, of uh, the 2022 event, which concluded just a week or two back. And uh, Rob, uh, welcome to the show. It's good to chat to you. Uh, how did the 2022 Solar Challenge uh, pan out? Well, Duncan, thank you very much for having me uh, here on Tech Central. It's it's great to be joined with you. I think, in a word, uh, it exceeded our expectations on on every asset and every facet. Um, it was a fantastic event, and I think it's it's reestablished the the groundwork as we build towards now the next edition in 2024. Fantastic. Now we actually had a gentleman by the name of Winston Yudan in the studio just a couple of weeks ago. And um, Winston is obviously the CEO of Gridcars, the EV charging uh, platform network. And I was amazed doing my research for this interview, Rob, to find out, and Winston didn't even mention this in our interview with him, that he was the founder of the Sassel Solar Challenge. Tell us a bit about the challenge, its background. Uh, I believe it got started in 2008. Uh, it was modeled on an Australian event, but just maybe give us a bit of the background to the event and how it was conceptualized. So, yeah, uh, Mr. Yodan founded the event uh, in 2008. We had the first running. I think, if I'm correct, he was actually conceptualizing it from as back, far back as 2004. Uh, and he went out to the Australian event, which is the Bridgestone World Solar Challenge, um, and learned from them and saw what they were doing. And then he came back and, and ran uh, two events, 24 and 20, uh, 2004 and 2006, um, looking at, at various formats and then by 2008 he settled on the format where um, this event would become a distance first event, uh, making it quite different to all the other solo events out in the, in the world, uh, meaning that our winner is determined by the team that racks the most number of kilometers up um, over the event and not a time-based uh, event. And this makes it very, very unique in that the teams all have a set distance minimum that they need to cover but his real uh, innovation, uh, and uh, it's something that we have to take our hats off to him, is that creating these loop stops where the teams get the opportunity to rack up more kilometers. Uh, and once that innovation came through, the event has grown from strength to strength uh, through, through 2008 and when Sassel joined. And in 2018, he, uh, he approached us to, to run the event for him. Uh, we ran the 2018 edition, and then shortly thereafter, um, he, him and I came to the, the, uh, the agreement that we would take over the event and, and run it going forward. Um, I think he had done phenomenal work, and, and you know, having done almost 12 or 14 years, if you look from 2004 to, to 2018, um, he, he had de he decided he had found the right people to kind of hand the reins over to um, and let us take it and grow it in the, in the next iteration. So, uh, yeah, Winston was uh, was the founder of the event. He, he uh, set us in a great foundation. And since 2018, we've been running forward uh, with the vision and, and growing the event uh, in leaps and bounds. 
Fantastic. So tell me, tell me a bit about the cars that are involved here. Uh, these are heavily modified uh, vehicles. Are they actually manufactured from scratch? Uh, what, what's involved? Yeah. So the, the vehicles are built uh, from scratch and, and they really have to be looked at as conceptualized um, test vehicles for technologies of the future. And what we do is we put together a set of technical regulations, which is uh, worked very long, very closely alongside the Bridgestone World Solar Challenge regulations. So the teams um, will build these vehicles for, for both events. And what we then do is the teams, they have to build the vehicles according to those regulations. And the regulations govern things such as the size of the solar arrays, as well as what type of materials can be used in construction, um, down to battery capacities, battery weights, um, minimum requirements when it comes to stability and handling. Now, all those aspects are very similar for the people understanding maybe Formula One to say, there's a set of technical regulations and you have to build uh, the regulation, your car within those regulations. Where we very much differ from traditional motorsport is that we, we deliberately leave enough gray areas so that the teams can come up with their own uh, ideas and concepts of how to solve the, pro the ultimate problem, which is driving across South Africa on a car that's powered by the sun. And that's why you end up seeing uh, various designs and various strategies being employed because the regulations allow the teams to be that, that creative element. So for us, um, the vehicle is the focus of the event. Um, not saying that the driver isn't important, but the driver is just there to essentially point and shoot the vehicle down the road. Um, so what the teams will do is they will unpack the technical regulations when we release the next set. And they will decide on a core strategy that will guide their, their building of, of the car. So if the team has a core strategy of X, then that will then guide their whole vehicle build. Um, and what we then do is ensure that those vehicles are within the regulations. But as I mentioned earlier, very deliberately done so that the, the teams have the opportunity to to innovate because that's what we're here to encourage. We're here to encourage innovation. So there are gray areas and, and some of the teams do exploit those gray areas to come up with exciting innovations that we then see on the vehicles on the road. Can you give us some examples of some of those innovations that uh, the teams have come up with, uh, especially in this year's event? So this year's event, um, we saw some really exciting uh, innovations when it came to aerodynamics. Uh, the Belgian team uh, deployed uh, their secret weapon, which was essentially a, 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 a wind-capturing fin um, that they could extend or lower out the back of their car. And what this did was um, actually contribute performance harnessing the power of any crosswinds that they would experience driving across South Africa. So it would create um, basically a push forward, uh, but the, the innovation was such that they could retract the wing when there wasn't any crosswinds, because obviously having it up would increase you know wind resistance when you didn't get the benefit of the crosswind. So they had worked out um, this massive you know mathematical equation showing that the relative gain, um, and during some of the days when we had crosswinds, it was very, very, very apparent to see that the, the, their fin, as they called it, um, was having a big impact. Some of the other innovations that we saw were um, designs of some of the battery packs. Uh, unfortunately, we can't be too uh, open with that because that's a lot of IP that goes into those vehicles. Um, but some amazing battery designs coming out as well as the opportunity for the teams to to check those electrical systems without using external power um, power grids. So the teams have the ability to to assess their arrays uh, without having to use external power, which we don't allow. 
Um, and furthermore, you know, from the Northwest University, uh, they came with a car where their founding um, kind of key aspect was aerodynamics. So they actually had their array um, which would tilt as they drive. So automatically it would, it would tilt to the left and the right, depending on which angle was the sun was coming from, to maximize their radiation exposure during uh, first thing in the morning and last thing in the afternoon as driving on the open road. Um, and that and that worked even in crosswinds. It was amazing to see that vehicle and the lady um, actually ro- rotating that sail uh, throughout the day. And, it, you know, fundamentally a very different design to the other cars that we saw, um, but a really exciting innovation from a South African team, uh, which I think kind of uh, captured the imaginations of people. So a lot of aerodynamic innovations this year that we saw. Uh, people power, harnessing the power of the wind, uh, but also you know on the electronic side, just how the uh, how the teams managed to come up with easier and more efficient ways, and, and ultimately it's all about weight saving. So you know the less electronic gadgetry that you have, and the more it can it can work seamlessly. So it's just every year the kids come with these amazing innovations that pushes the e-mobility envelope just a little bit further. So I think it's just it's just for us, yeah. I think it's just for us that when it when it comes to the electronic innovations that we see, um, most of it you know, kind of revolves around um, how the teams you know minimize the amount of wiring that they have in the vehicles, so making those systems more efficient, um, and everything is is striving for the efficiency. The teams are here to make sure that they can have the most efficient vehicle as possible. So yes, you know, you having a big battery is great, uh, but then you have to play that off against the weight disadvantage that having that big battery brings in. So the innovations and the understandings of the teams as they seek this ultimate goal of efficiency is, is, is where we see a lot of innovation. Okay, so take me through um, take me through what an average day is like during the Sassel Solar Challenge. It's an eight-day event. Uh, what happens from, from sunrise to sunset? What's the uh, vibe like? What are the teams doing? What's the camarader- is there camaraderie between the teams? Just take us through it. So the the average day on the Sassel Solar Challenge um, for my for me and my team usually starts at about four o'clock in the morning. Um, we we get out onto the roads and we would build uh, that day's start line, which is obviously at the the finish from the the previous day. So we get out quite early, um, and that start line is usually built um, and finished by about half past five six o'clock in the morning. Um, because we're using public roads, we we very very. Uh, supported by the police in each of the towns they come and assist us to close the roads off um, and make it safe for our team and then uh, from about six o'clock we start to see teams uh, coming out to the start line we have various uh, meetings first thing in the morning uh, with the team managers our observers obviously our safety officers just kind of making sure that everyone's on the same page and usually what we notice in the background is teams have scouted out the, the best locations to have their cars um, you know, placed as, as, as the sun starts to come above the horizon. So they'll know exactly at what time um, the sun's going to peak its head above the horizon. And they, they their pre-teams would have scouted a location uh, for them to have the best exposure to that early morning sun. Uh, so you, we teams sometimes get really creative. We've seen, you know, people lifting cars on the top of hills. Um, they, they're really like they're looking for every minute of, of, of radiation for them is, is key. Um, and that 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 dance happens until about quarter past seven. 
And about quarter past seven, we start bringing the teams down towards the start line. Uh, and then the cars go into what's called park for May, uh, where no one may touch the vehicles for a period of between 15 minutes and half an hour, depending on, on what's the current status of the start line. Um, obviously, if there's a lot of shade over the start line, we try and give the teams as much time as possible out in the sun. And then at, at 10 to 8, uh, Park for May opens, and, and there's a normally a rush of activity as the teams scramble to get uh, drivers into vehicles, get their vehicles ready. Um, and ex at exactly 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, the first vehicle leaves the start line, and thereafter, every minute, uh, the next teams leave the, the start line. So 8 o'clock, 8.01, um, carrying on until all the teams have left the start line. From that point onwards, uh, it becomes a pretty much of a bit of a mad rush uh, from, from everyone's side. So the teams then uh, leave the, the start line with their whole convoys of vehicles, their chase vehicles, their lead vehicles, their weather stations. Um, everything heads out you know, around the solar car, spread out on the road. So there's, there's about half an hour of really a hub of activity, uh, at which point uh, the, my, my team that's kind of breaking on the start, the start line, they start doing their work. Um, and then myself and the rest of the officials uh, jump in vehicles and we head towards the control stop. Um, and usually by this point in time, our kind of team that's ahead of us on the road has already set up the control stop um, and they're ready and waiting for, for the teams. And we, we catch up to the teams on the road, um, but usually the front runners beat us to the control stops. So that's why it's so important that we have this uh, effect where we have teams ahead of each other and we kind of leapfrogging each other down the road. Um, for the next kind of five, six hours of the day, the teams are at the loop stop. And this is also where we conduct our educational programs, where we bring in learners from the surrounding community at that town where the loop stop is located, uh, and we educate them around STEM. So this year we set up three different stations focusing on robotics and coding, uh, renewable energy, and e-mobility, where learners got a hands-on opportunity to actually try models, test out the concept, learn about STEM, um, but have it hands-on where they could actually do it themselves. And the whole time around them were these solar cars coming in and out of the control stop um, while they were doing their loops. So what it, what it created was this chance for learners to see these are the basic principles, those three or four basic principles then manifest themselves into the, the ultimate manifestation of those principles is a solar car. Solar car encompasses robotics and coding. It encompasses obviously renewable energy, and of course, at its core, it's actually an EV because it has an electric motor with with batteries. And um, so, so seeing the, the the scholars take those concepts and then seeing the ultimate manifestation of those concepts in a solar car, it really helps them to to understand the opportunity that STEM provides them. Um, they the scholars then get an opportunity to uh, chat and talk to the team leaders and the team managers from the teams from around the world and they can ask questions they can you know talk to them about the solar cars explain to them what's going on and that whole program runs continuously throughout the day I um, mean if you can imagine Duncan most of the teams arrive at that control stop at about half past nine ten o'clock and we we leave that control stop sometimes as late as three o'clock in the afternoon so there's a there's a big chunk of the day which is spent at that control stop um, and a lot of activity happens there, and that's where we really reach out a lot of kids. Um, this year, the team, I think we managed to to engage somewhere north of 3,500 scholars along the route this year, um, and some of these are in some of the smallest towns that you would you know struggle to even wow. find on a map. Um, and we, we, bring, we bring STEM engineering, the love of science, to, to their front doors, and, and really it's amazing to see how, how this impacts on those children. 
At about half past two or about two o'clock, I tend to leave the control stop um, and I head towards the finish line. And by this point, the, the start line team that was behind us at the beginning of the day is now ahead of us because they've gone straight down to the finish line. Uh, we set up the finish line. Uh, and what happens at the finish line is the finish line, immediately once the cars cross the finish line, they go into, again, another state of park for May. Uh, and that that means that once they cross that finish line, the teams have only a few minutes to get the the driver out the vehicle, disconnect the battery, and then those vehicles have to be left and they, they, they may not be touched at all. And in that period, there's about 30 minutes um, where myself and the clerk of the course, the event secretary, we go through all the, re the results of the day. So we have uh, volunteers, which are called observers, and they basically observe how many laps or loops the teams have done, if they did any, um, you know, did anything that was against the rules. Um, and we've got about half an hour to lodge those results. And then at the end of that half an hour, we say to the teams that Park for Mayor is open so they can remove their vehicles. And at, at, and at six o'clock every night, uh, we publish that, the, the, that, oh, sorry, that day's results. And the reason we, we give ourselves a little bit of time is that if there's any protests or, or anything that the teams need to lodge from the day uh, or queries that we have with the teams, we have that time to then sort that out. Because once those results are published, uh, they're, they're then finalized and sent out and, and we then publish both a daily result and then an overall result which shows the, the overall standings. Uh, from that point onwards, the teams are, you know, they have the cars at their leisure. Most of the big teams uh, will will have a separate kind of night shift that will then work on the car throughout the night, um, changing tires, checking components, cleaning the car. Um, you know, some of the cars, they, they get a lot of dust uh, and the teams, you know, if you want those components to really work smoothly, they've got to be clean. Um, so they clean the cars, they get them ready for the next morning. And the team and the and the the team component that was working on the vehicle during the day, um, they then sleep at night. Obviously, they have dinner, so they 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 run quite late at night, and then they they get ready for the next morning. And, and we repeat that whole that whole dance, you know, for eight days as we head down towards Cape Town. Amazing! It sounds it sounds like these teams get extremely competitive with one another. <laughs> um, does any of the innovation uh, that that uh, get does any of the innovation here end up being used commercially and if so how so so this is this is one of the aspects that we the international universities have really understood and i think our local south african universities are, are getting to grips with is that the technology and the ip developed by these teams especially those who are doing so under the auspices of a university um, gets rapidly commercialized as we move towards the world of, of evs um, so what we're seeing is that technology in the solar cars gets uh, commercialized through the university's uh, ttos or their technology transfer offices and, and that opportunity you know could could earn the, the universities huge amounts of revenue in the future as they're looking at you know battery technologies and if the innovations that the teams are coming up with m moves into the EV, EV sector um, the, the opportunities there are phenomenal. What we know from the past is numerous innovations have been brought to market through uh, through solar cars and not just our event but events around the world. 
Um, things like lithium-ion batteries were first trialed and tested in solar cars in, in the early 2000s in Australia, um, as well as in-wheel hub motors. So those are just some of the technology that we know you can directly trace that lineage back to, to solar car events. Um, and you can imagine if, if your university has that IP and is now able to go to industry and, and basically sell that IP to, to industry, um, the, the, the potential revenue generation for the universities is, is phenomenal. So we're seeing as industry picks up the movement towards uh, e-mobility, so the transfer of this technology is becoming more and more rapid. You know, we, we, with Formula One, they often talk about um, the timeline of technology transfer being anything from you know 10 to 15 years. So what you see in Formula One takes a long time to filter down into your normal commercial vehicles. Um, with solar vehicles, that that timeline could be as short as five to 10 years. Um, not saying that you're going to see a solar vehicle on the road as replacing your you know your Ford Bucky or whatever it may be, but it's the it's the aspects within those vehicles that are that are getting commercialized and that's where we're seeing rapid commercialization of that of that technology fascinating stuff now rob uh, i know you're going to have to run in a minute uh, you're on a tight schedule today but before <laughs> i let you go i just wanted to ask you about uh, this year's uh, winners uh, there are a number of categories to the competition uh who, which teams won uh, who stood out this year so uh, this year for us was an incredibly tight year. Our two international teams um, ran each other all the way down to the finish line in Cape Town. Um, it's actually been the first time since I've been involved in the event um, that it was, you know, the, the, the winner was very much determined on the last day. Um, so the team from Delft University in, in the Netherlands ultimately ran out winners. Um, and, and they they only managed to beat the Belgian team uh, by 38.3 kilometers, I think it was at the end of the day. Now, if you imagine that both teams exceeded nearly 4,200 kilometers, you're talking of, of less than a 1% difference in terms of uh, of the teams overall, um, which is, you know, if you were on a racetrack, you would be talking about, you know, the, the front fender of a of a vehicle. The, the difference between that is is just, you know, it's phenomenal. It's the closest finish we've ever had. Um, so those two teams really, you know, they stood out, they ran each other down right the way down to Cape Town. Um, and even on the last day when we were at the control stop, it still wasn't clear who was going to be the ultimate winner. Um, so that was that was really exciting. And then I think for us, the standout was uh, from the South African side, both the Northwest University and then ultimately the, the team from TUT uh, were our third place to finishers. And they, they've done better than I think any South African university in, before in terms of their total kilometers, uh, but also the way in that in they in that they just conducted themselves. It's a very professional outfit from TUT. Um, they, they very much can stand shoulder to shoulder with any of the international teams. And I believe those two teams are, have helped set the, the, the groundwork for what we will see coming from South Africa in the future. So standouts, I think it's obviously our two winners um, from, from well, our two top teams from, from the internationals, uh, Brunel and Agoria. And then I think TUT, you know, just with a, as a local performance was amazing. Fantastic. So uh, if anyone watching this uh, discussion wants to get involved or is thinking this is absolutely amazing, I've got to I've got to start building one of these for myself and participate in this challenge. What what do they need to know? Is there a website that they can visit? 
So there is a website. Um, it's the website is uh, solar uh, well solarchallenge.org.za, um, but they can just Google Sassel Solar Challenge. They will they'll pick it up. Um, what we have on there is all the information how to build your first solar car, um, all that exciting information in terms of what they what they need to do. Uh, we really strongly suggest, you know, that yes, we have had privateers in the past and we did have privateers this year around. Uh, but if people are interested, it, it's it's the best way is to try and get your university or institution, tertiary institution, even high school, um, get them to kind of pioneer and push the project forward because you do need the support of, of an institution behind you to, to really successfully do it. Uh, doing the event as a privateer is is. I think quite challenging, um, but if you can, you know, if you can try and get a tertiary institution or your high school involved, um, that's really where we we believe the, the success of it will come from. Rob Walker is owner and director of the Sassel Solar Challenge. Rob, thanks so much for talking about this amazing initiative with us today. Fantastic, Duncan. Thank you very much for having me uh, on your show, and my apologies for not being able to be joining you in studio today.